of these songs, and it's good to see good. everyone who's present today. We have a lot of folks here who are visiting with us, and we certainly welcome you to our services here at Delreda. We hope that you'll want to come back and be with us anytime that you have an opportunity. I'm glad to have my family uh, with me today. This is indeed a rare occasion that all the families here together, my mom and dad, are here. And then my sister, Kelly Parrott, and her husband, David, are here, and uh, their kids, Grant Parrott. Incidentally, I got some good news about Grant. Uh, my nephew, I had the privilege of baptizing him uh, into Christ last night here at the church building. So we certainly want to congratulate him and his obedience to the gospel. And then my other nephew is uh, Griffin, and then we've got Sammy and Sydney, and then, of course, my sister's best friend here from Tulsa, Oklahoma. They've been vacationing together and are passing back through and stopped by last night. And uh, so good to see all them. But the Weirs, Todd and Christine and their children. <clears throat> Just one second. Emma, I just went blank. Catherine, Catherine, yeah, sorry. Anyhow, uh, so it's very good to have all them here with us this morning. Uh, I want to uh, note something. About a week ago, I saw on Facebook uh, a lot of uh, our young ladies with babies and those that are expecting babies had lined up together in a line. I don't know how many of you saw that picture. There was quite a long line there of recent babies that have been born and other babies that are along the way and you know, I suggested we ought to start a second line. We need uh, more of that. And uh, guess what? Kyle and Hannah Bursler have decided to start that second line for us. They're expecting a baby. Isn't that wonderful news? And I was just so excited to hear that good news today. And I know you want to share with them in that good news as well. Hope you'll come back tonight at 5 o'clock and be with us at that particular time. We're going to talk about how God can harden the heart. And I think it's a good lesson that all of us can benefit from and learn from. Have you ever heard somebody ask the question or had somebody make a great statement? And after making this profound statement, they maybe ask you the question, could you say that? That's sort of what I want us to do in our lesson this morning. I want to place before you some great statements of conviction made by some individuals whom God highly regarded. And these are truly great statements that these individuals made. But then I want to ask you the question, as I ask myself, could you say that? After all, why did the Holy Spirit even record such statements of conviction if they were not for our own consideration and benefit. Didn't God intend from, for us to profit from these great statements that these men have made? For example, what did Paul mean when he said in First the Second Thessalonians 3 and verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. Well, in what sense are we to follow men like Paul? Well, we're to follow in this sense. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, Be ye followers together of me, even as I also am a follower of Christ. You see, we're not to follow Paul. 
We're to follow Paul as he followed Christ. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me and keep your eyes on them which walk so that you have us for an example. You see, God has chosen such men like Paul to serve as our examples, to show us how to live, to show us how to conduct ourselves acceptably before our God. And for that particular reason, the Holy Spirit admonished us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their way of life. Now, whose faith are we to follow? Who are we to try to imitate in our daily lives, in our walk with God? Not just anybody, but those that have spoken unto us the word of God. These, no doubt, are the ones referred to by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, where he said, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, if we have all these men as our examples, and we're asked to imitate their holy lives whose faith the Bible tells us that we need to follow, then the question for you and me today is this. Can we say what they said? Are their convictions our convictions? Are we allowing them to set the example that we need to follow? Now, if we are truly following in the footsteps of these holy men, then I believe we ought to be able to say what they said with reference to their faith and their loyalty and their devotion to God. First of all this morning, could you say what Jesus said? I want to begin this morning with the first recorded words of our Lord. They're found in Luke chapter 2 and verse 49. We know that Jesus was 12 years of age at this particular time, and he had been taken to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast by his parents, Joseph and Mary. And if you look at verse 43, the Bible says, When they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and Mary, his parents, knew it not. Now, when Joseph and Mary discovered that their son was not in this particular company, they went back to Jerusalem looking for their son. Now, keep in mind that this is not like Home Alone, the movie that we see where the son was accidentally left home. These companies were very large and they traveled together to the place of worship. And it was very common for children to be in other parts of the company. But, you know, Joseph and Mary finally discovered that Jesus was nowhere to be found. And in verse 46 of Luke 2, it came to pass after three days, what would you do if you couldn't find your children for three days? I think certainly in our day and time, we would be in a panic. 
You know, things are different today than they were back then. You know, we have perverts roaming the streets of our land today. We're very concerned about our children. We hear a lot about registered sex offenders and all the things that are so heinous going on in our world today. It wasn't like that when I was growing up. Back when I was growing up as a child, we freely roamed the neighborhood. We had no worries about that. We would go out early in the morning and stay until late at night. But nowadays, and even back in this particular time, uh, you really didn't have to worry about what's going on in our day. But they finally, after three days, they found Jesus in the temple. He was sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And the story continues with Joseph and Mary dealing with their son. Verse 48, when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have sought you sorrowing. We've been very concerned about you. And Jesus said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? You see, at a very early age, Jesus realized that he must be about his father's business. Now, could you say that today? You know, to Jesus, God's work always came first. Now, does the work of God come first in your life? How familiar are you today with the Father's business? How interested are you today in the most important work in all the world, the work of the kingdom of God? How much time do you devote in working in that kingdom? Are you imitating Christ in the interest that he had in the work of the Father? And think about how Christ evaluated the work of the Father. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. In other words, God said, Jesus speaking here, God's will is like food to me. My whole aim in life is to finish his work, to do the work of my father. Now, could you say that? You know, Jesus did finish the work that God gave him to do. In fact, Jesus said in John 17 verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work that you have given me to do. Now, ask yourself this question. Could you say right now, that you're glorifying God on this earth? Could you say right now that you're endeavoring with all of your being to finish the work God has given you to do? You see, that was the chief mission in the life of Jesus. He said, I do always those things that please Him, John 8 and verse 39. Could you say today, that you do always those things that are pleasing to God. Are you concerned about building up the Lord's kingdom? In the second place today, I want to ask you the question, could you say what Paul said? I want you to listen carefully 
to some of these marvelous words of Paul. Paul said in Romans 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, could you say today honestly that you are not ashamed of the gospel? You know, many people today are ashamed of the gospel. And because of that, they're very hesitant to bring the gospel before their family and friends. Now, that certainly wasn't true in the case of Paul. He was never ashamed of the gospel. He was never ashamed to talk to other people about the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus once said in Mark chapter 8 and verse 38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words... In this sinful and adulterous generation, of him shall also the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. You see, instead of being ashamed of the gospel, Paul counted it a thrill to make it known to others. Paul believed that the gospel was the only power that could bring salvation, and he was willing to stake his life upon it. Or notice these words of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He said, I know whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Now, could you say what Paul said? Could you say that? Do you really know in whom you have believed? Are you fully persuaded that he is able to keep that which he's committed unto you against that day? What a great example of faith the Apostle Paul is to us. And not only was Paul one that believed in the gospel, not only was he one that wasn't ashamed of the gospel... But Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 1 verse 17, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Now can you truthfully say today that you're set for the defense of the gospel? Are you willing to defend it against every foe? To defend the gospel, you must first of all know the gospel. Do you know it? Are you willing to uphold it by how you live and by how you talk? You know, another statement by Paul is found in Philippians chapter 1, beginning of verse 20. He said that, but with all boldness and courage, as always, so Christ shall now be magnified, honored in my body, whether by life or by death. The next verse says, Paul speaking for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Now let me ask you, could you make that statement? Are you showing all courage in your defense of the gospel? Is Christ always being honored in your body? Stop and think about that statement for just a minute. What does it mean to honor God With your body. He's talking about your physical body. Well, we honor God by the words that we speak. 
We honor God by the way that we present ourselves before the world and how we dress. We are to dress modestly and appropriately in a way that that brings glory and honor to God. We magnify, we honor God in our body by our actions, by the good things that we do toward other people, by being kind and considerate and understanding and unselfish in our attitude before all others. By looking not every man on his own things, but every man also instead on the things of others. Could you say like Paul, that Christ truly is being honored in my body? What does life mean to you? Could you say today for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain? Is Christ your all in all, as is suggested in Colossians 3 and verse 11? Is your whole life centered around Jesus Christ? What did Paul mean by the statement, for me to live is Christ? Well, I think he explains that very clearly in Galatians 2 and verse 20, when he said, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ living in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul is saying, in essence right here, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. For me to live is really for Christ to live all over again. For I am but simply reproducing in my life the life that he lived. Now, could you say that? You know, this is really what life meant to the Apostle Paul. And I think that certainly explains some of the other things that Paul said. Listen to some of these statements. In Acts 24 and verse 16, Paul says, And herein do I exercise myself. That is, I go to great lengths. I go to great pains to always have a conscience Void of offense toward God and men. Now why could Paul say that? Why could Paul say that I always want to have a conscience void of offense toward God and man? Well, for me to live as Christ, but to die as gain. And when Christ lives in a man, he will always go to great lengths to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and man. Now, is that what you're striving to do? You know, Paul was trying to the the very best of his ability to live a Christ-like life. Is that what you're trying to do? Or listen to the words of Paul as, as he approached the end of his life. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me in that day. But not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. What conviction this man had. 
how devoted Paul was to Jesus Christ, how Christ-centered his life actually was. Now, why is this the case? Well, it's because he had given himself so completely to the Lord. Now, the question for us today is, are we following the faith of men like this? Have you considered the result of their way of life, as Hebrews 13 verse 7 asks us to do? Are you trying to imitate Paul as he endeavored to imitate Christ? Could you say that you are really now ready to be offered? That you're fighting the good fight? That you're endeavoring to finish the faith? Could you say that there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which God one day is going to give me? What a great example for us to follow. But then I want to ask you today, could you say what David said? You know, perhaps one of the most familiar and most quoted of all passages in the Bible is the 23rd Psalm. How very beautiful and meaningful is this great passage. And we need to determine not only to commit that passage to memory, as many of us have done, but we need to commit it to our lives. David said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Could you say that? David did not say the Lord is a shepherd. Many people could say that. David did not even say the Lord is the shepherd. There's a lot of people that could say that. But David said the Lord is my shepherd. He made use of the personal possessive pronoun. Now the Lord can be a shepherd or he can be the shepherd. But the question for us today is, is the Lord your shepherd? To say the Lord is my shepherd makes all the difference in the world. Have you made the Lord your shepherd? You know, for the Lord to be your shepherd, you must be his sheep. Jesus said in John 10 and verse 27, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. How can I know, how can I determine whether or not I'm the Lord's sheep? Well, simply this. His sheep hear his voice. He recognizes them as his and they follow him. Those who do not hear the Lord's voice, he does not recognize as his sheep. Now, no one can claim to be the Lord's sheep unless he's following him. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say, Luke 6 and 46. I believe David had every right to refer to the Lord as my shepherd because he ever heard the shepherd's voice and he sought to follow him. Now, the Lord needs to recognize us as his sheep. Now, could you say, like David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
Are you obeying the Lord? Are you living in submission to his will? Could you say what David said, that the Lord is my shepherd? Or listen to this statement by David in Psalms chapter 119, verse 59. I thought on my ways, and I turned my feet under your testimonies. Now, could you say that? I'm afraid too many people today are thinking on the ways of others rather than thinking on their own ways. David said, I looked at my own life. I examined my own life. I thought on my ways. And as a result of that, I turned my feet under the testimonies of the Lord. And I believe there would be a lot more turning of our feet to the testimonies of the Lord if we would do more thinking about our own ways. You know, the Bible tells us in, in the book of 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You see, before we can genuinely and honestly and patiently confess our sins, we must first of all spend some time thinking about our own ways. You know, that prodigal son over in Luke chapter 15, he would have never come to himself. He would have never made an about face and resolved in his heart to arise and go back to his father and make that confession, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no more worthy to be called your son, but just make me as one of your hired servants. That prodigal son would have never done that had first of all, he'd not done some thinking on his own ways. You recall how Peter went out and denied the Lord, and and Peter would have never gone out and wept bitterly and repented had he first of all not done some thinking about his own ways. Those people on the day of Pentecost would have never been pricked in their hearts to cry out, men and brethren, what shall we do unless... First of all, they had done some thinking about their own ways. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, the Bible says, Godly sorrow works repentance. And there needs to be godly sorrow in our hearts. Godly sorrow that will lead us to change. Not sorrow because we got caught. Not sorrow because we were embarrassed but godly sorrow because God has been hurt, that my life has has brought reproach and shame upon God and, and what God would have me to do. May each of us be able to say what David said, I thought on my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. But then lastly today, I want to ask you this question, could you say what Peter said? Jesus one time asked his disciples, Matthew chapter 16, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? We know that many answers were given, and finally Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And it was Peter that answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. On another occasion, it was Peter who said, We believe and we are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, could you say that? Are you today convinced with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? 
Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. In fact, the Holy Scriptures have been written to convince us that Jesus is all that he claimed to be. And everything depends upon our faith in him. And we need to follow him. We need to endeavor to do what he says. But it takes more than just belief. That faith needs to lead us to obedience. It needs to lead one to change his life and repentance, to then make that confession that Jesus is God's Son, and then to be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. It's then that we can begin to endeavor to reproduce in our own lives the life that Christ lived. It's then and only then that we can say what these holy men of old have said, these great statements that, that we've seen these men and observed the statements that they've made. Are their convictions our convictions? Little boy one time asked his dad, you know, what a Christian was. And the dad thought about that for a little bit, and he replied, Well, a Christian is a person who loves and obeys God. He loves his friends and neighbors. And, you know, a Christian always expresses appreciation for other Christians. A Christian loves his enemies and prays for them that even they might be blessed. He prays often. He blesses God's holy name and reverent worship. A Christian is is kind and considerate and gentle and courteous in his speech and selfless in his attitudes. He lives a life that is pure and holy. And, and the dad said, well, he's just a Christian through and through. Little boy thought about that for a moment and then he asked another question. He said, Daddy, have I ever seen one? And I think that's a question for all of us to consider. Are we endeavoring to reproduce in our lives some of these great and profound statements that these individuals made. Could you say what they said and say it with the attitude in which they said it? This morning, if you're subject to heaven's invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.